Welcome to Advocate. I'm Alex Lerner, and I will be your host for today's episode. Advocate is a project that seeks to humanize others by telling stories with sound. While studying at LMU, there is always the looming presence of grades, social life, career ladders, part-time jobs. Rarely are we called upon to celebrate the history of our university. To get a sense of the contemporary traditions that shape our experience and the tenure of tradition as old as Loyola University itself, Advocate took time to speak with three men who currently call the Jesuit community home. They live amongst us on campus and dedicate their lives in profound and unexpected ways. I am Father Randy Roach. I am a Jesuit priest, and I am indeed the director of the Center for Ignatian Spirituality here at Loyola Marymount University. I'm Father Robert Caro. My current title is I'm the alumni chaplain. I'm also a professor emeritus of English. I, that was the role in which I first came to the university 47 years ago, and I suppose that's been my main work here, but I've also had administrative jobs. My name is Father Paul Vu. I am the Assistant Dean of Students here at LMU, the Director for Community of Care, and I also am an Adjunct Professor for the Psychology Department. The daily exam is a technique of prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's presence and discern his direction for us. The examine is an ancient practice in the church that can help us see God's hand at work in our whole experience. And I often um, end my day by doing the examine. The examine is, you know, something that Jesuits, we are encouraged to do twice a day, either during lunchtime or in the evening. It's just a a nice way to perhaps, you know, just uh, de-stress ourselves and, you know, just be grateful for the events that have you know that happened in our life during that day or perhaps offer up our desolation you know things that you know may have saddened us or may um, um, that we may um, have difficulty with but you know the most important thing about you know doing the examen is the opportunity to you know count our blessing despite uh, you know our desolation um, if we were to look closely, there's a lot of gift, gifts that have been given to us. And, you know, things that, you know, we could have done better that we would promise ourselves. You know what? Tomorrow I will try to be better in certain areas. And so that's why, I, you know, it's really important for me uh, before I go sleep to um, do the examen. The obvious thing that jumps out at me is how this community transcends tradition from the spiritual to the practical. So what happens on an interpersonal level is essential. These men are dedicated Jesuit Catholic priests, but that vocation manifests in interesting ways. It's really important you know, to be able to um, listen to their uh, stories and share with them mine. I believe that you know, each of us have a story to share. You know, for example, you know, during my, my first year, there was a student who was asked to come to my office reluctantly. And so, but, you know, after comforting him, you know, I accompanied him over to student psychological services. And, you know, that's when he, you know, called his 
parents and let them know that he's coming home um, due to his uh, depression and anxiety and addiction. And so, um, so he took a leave of absence, and you know when he was supposed to come back, he called and said, "Father, I think I need more time." And so, but when he did return, he came back stronger physically, academically, emotionally, and mentally. And so I continued to work with him once a week. Then, you know, by the time he got to his senior year, it was maybe a few times um, a semester. And he ended up, you know, really changing his life, going to, uh, got a master's, po- uh, master's degree here, and it's currently in a doctorate degree in counseling psychology. And he would like to work with those uh, dealing with their own addictions. So when we talk about Catholicism, we describe a process that permeates a concept shared by all belief systems. All students are building their identities while we share time here. I mean, there are other Catholic universities that I, I think maybe have the the label traditionalist or orthodox, or they may not use these labels themselves, but they are labels that have been given to them because they are more or less exclusively Catholic. They don't hire professors who are not Catholic. They don't, I don't know whether they exclude non-Catholic students, but it becomes... Um, you know, a, a narrowly uh, Catholic environment, and that's not what LMU is. That and that's not the Jesuit or the, the you know, the Marymount tradition. You know, both both of those uh, traditions came together here when Loyola University and Marymount College merged. I'll borrow a phrase from a book by Father Jim Heft. Jim Heft is a, a Marianist priest, and he. Most recently, until he retired a few years ago, he was director of the Institute for Advanced Catholic Studies at at USC, and prior to that, he had been the provost at the University of Dayton, which is a a Midwestern Catholic university. He's written a book, published, I think, a year ago, called The Future of Catholic Higher Education. I, I think it's an important book. And he describes the contemporary Catholic university uh as an open circle. And, I mean, the, the way he understands that, I think, corresponds to what LMU strives to be. And that is to say, it, it strives to be a university as any other university would be, with, with academic freedom, a full range of academic offerings. But in addition to that, uh, it is consciously studying, exploring, promoting, handing on the Catholic intellectual tradition. Catholicism is uh, going back to the earliest centuries of Christianity with, you know, with, uh, with Greek philosophy and so on and, and attempting to understand Christianity in terms of Plato. and all. There's always been a link between the intellectual life and the attempt to understand the faith. And so that, that linking of, of faith and, and reason is is at the heart of the Catholic intellectual tradition, and and so the open circle means that we're exploring that uh, relationship between faith and reason in a way that would not take place on a secular university. Secular universities nowadays do have courses in religious studies and so on, but probably not in theology as such. I mean, at least if theology is understood in the classic sense of faith-seeking understanding. So, to sum it up, I mean, a Catholic university such as LMU strives to be is a university in the full sense of the word, 
but it's not a closed circle, meaning it's not exclusively Catholic, and it's, and it's not exclusive of the Catholic intellectual tradition. One of the keys to existence while living in the Jesuit community is being both progressive and humble. These men question authority constantly, whether it belongs to them or others. In essence, we're talking about the unity and the ability to be different on campus. I'll use the language of Ignatian spirituality, that is, that uh, that we have in us uh, from a lot of experience, and, and a lot of people have picked up on this, and it gets passed around, is um, we can reflect on our experience and consciously learn from it. And that is very Ignatian. Uh, we find out, if, if we want to do that, find out how God is involved in that process, whether we acknowledge that or even use that kind of language uh, that's not required. But to pay attention to experience, uh, that is really Ignatian spirituality at its best. It sounds almost like a kind of mindfulness, or what term would you use? Well, it, I think it's kind of mind and heartfulness, <laughs> because that's the whole point uh, from Ignatius, is yes, pay attention to what you are thinking, but pay attention to how you feel about what you are thinking. That's kind of radical, because it implies that our thoughts have reverberations in our hearts, and if the reverberation is negative, probably what we are thinking is not the best. And if what we are thinking resonates and feels right, brings peace to our soul, uh, we're on the right path. And so that's very important. Students' conversations with Jesuit community members aren't necessarily limited to scripture, mass, and ritual. Some of their best moments occur when they aren't at the lectern, and their experiences are not homogenous. I normally get up about you know 6 a.m. Um, would spend the first 30 minutes do meditation. Um, I often do the rosary, um, and this is something that's very important to me because while growing up in my family, everything would stop at 8 p.m. No matter what we were doing, everything would stop and we would do the rosary together. And it was in Vietnamese. And even now, it's really important for me to recite the rosary in Vietnamese. Okay, so the rosary may sound like tradition, but Father Vu connects with his faith in a unique way. They are people first. At this university, they exceed expectations based on their particular vocation. So you write essays on spirituality in your spare time and have done so for decades, yes? That is true, <laughs> and I enjoy it. It's better for me than watching some TV programs. That, that works for me anyway. So our reform, if there is such, is to uh, help people with their motives. Why would they want to make changes in their lives, that is reform, uh, for the sake of just relationships with others? Well, I think that's what spirituality is. It's about <clears throat> what's in your heart. Uh, and generally speaking, the word for that is uh, the good thing is love. 
we need to get people in touch with that aspect of where you want to love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of a trite thing. But somehow it is affective. It's not simply intellectual. And so the reform has got to be both mind and heart. And so incidents, um, you can tell when people are feeling invited uh, to stretch themselves and when they feel frightened. And I think then we need to just kind of monitor that and find ways to invite people into some new experiences given their uh, present availability to that and not try to overwhelm them with like you should or anything like that. It's like, where are you? And now how can we take another step forward? Father Caro, tell us a little bit about your journey with Shakespeare. Why is he important to you as a scholar and a teacher? Shakespeare's ability to create character is, is powerful. And for me as a Jesuit priest, it was fascinating to be able to explore parallels or confluences between the insights in the Ignatian discernment, rules for the discernment of spirits, and characterization in Shakespeare. For example... The character Iago in, in Othello, is uh, he's, he's been described by various critics as the devil incarnate. I mean, that's one way of interpreting Iago. Well, I mean, that, that's a perfect description because Iago knows all... I mean, you, you could say that, that, that he knows all of the rules for discernment of spirits. Now, now St. Ignatius didn't discover these himself, but he did codify a tradition of spiritual discernment that we certainly find in throughout the centuries of Christianity, but going back into the Old Testament and, and so on. And and so to see those parallels between the analysis of the of the movement of the spirits, as Ignatius calls them, in, in in our spiritual life, and to see parallels in the way Shakespeare portrays his characters. Uh, I mentioned Iago in Othello, the, the witches in Macbeth and all of that. I mean, they are evil spirits, and, and they, they too function the way classically evil spirits are supposed to function. And, and I say, how, how did Shakespeare come up with all this? I mean, he, he, he didn't know the spiritual exercises. The book of the spiritual exercises was first published in Latin in 1548, and, and I, I seriously doubt that Shakespeare had been, become acquainted with it by the time he was writing the plays. But he was certainly acquainted with the tradition out of which uh, Ignatius had codified all of those rules. You know every crack in the sidewalk on this campus. What have you learned personally from being here? I was struck just the other day, uh, again on one of my walks, with, with a poster outside the, the College of Business announcing a promotion of justice competition or promotion of justice challenge where students are invited to reflect on a business doing good even as they prepare themselves uh, to be expert in the fields of you know, finance, marketing, accounting, you know, all the business disciplines. Um, so, so I thought this is really interesting. I mean, here, here's a, a program that is, that is taking you know a, a kind of you know a key phrase right out of the mission statement. It didn't say the service of faith, but anyway, the promotion of justice. And how do you relate that to being a good business person or, or to a business doing good? And I thought, ah, this is very interesting because I remember uh, a number of years ago, no, 
so it goes back several years to when I was still teaching, but meeting with a group of faculty colleagues from different departments and and the question you know came up about how you know our faith tradition or religious belief might influence our teaching and one of the professors in that conversation i i, I don't think he's here on campus anymore but he said well he didn't see how it influenced his his teaching of, of finance at all because i mean finance and business that's concerned with getting along in this world and religion is concerned with life in the next world and i thought oh well hmm uh, he, he's missing the connection there. And so my hope is that this uh, competition or encouraging students to, to reflect on, on, on how the promotion of justice um, is doing good in this world and, and is reaching out, hopefully, you know, to, to those who are living on the margins of society, as we say, that, that, that is not just concerned with you know, making and accumulating wealth, but what do you do with your wealth? What do you, how, do, how do you conduct your business in such a way? How do you conduct your own personal uh, you know, affairs in, in terms of you know, making money, making a living, getting along in this world, as my finance professor would say? Um, but at the same time, that not being the exclusive concern. And so uh, to me, uh, what a university like this should be inculcating is a sense of biblical justice, evangelical justice, uh, whatever term you want to use. But let's look. Let's look at that tradition in the uh, Hebrew Scriptures and in the Gospels. How, how do we see justice there? And it's not just a question of of giving to everyone his due, but it's a question of cultivating right relationships. And so, how do you treat? The people who are living on the margins. Uh, I mean, the, the the prophets in the Old Testament and the Torah are are powerful on this. Uh, uh, the, you know, uh, not to lend money at usury. If you, if you do take somebody's cloak as collateral, to give it back before dusk because you won't have anything to sleep in if you don't return it. Uh, to to allow the poor to to glean, you know, the the produce from the fields after your first harvest. All of those kinds of things, Jesus' teachings about um, um, the, 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 the story of Dives and La- the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the story of, of the, the, the Good Samaritan, and so many uh, of the, the teachings of Jesus, ultimately summed up in his concern for the least of his brothers and sisters, have to do with, um, with, with what we call biblical justice, and that is... What do people need? How do we create right relationships with people? How do we help those who are in need? They are our concern. We are our brother's keeper. So all of those kinds of values, uh, I think the, the Catholic social teachings attempt to translate some of that biblical language into more philosophical language. But, but those are the kinds of things that I think have to be in, in foregrounded here in, in the way we understand social justice. Everybody talks about social justice nowadays. You know, I, I use the term biblical justice to, to understand it. Um, but it would be interesting, it would be, uh, you know, as Christians, I mean, our Bible includes the Hebrew Scriptures as well as, you know, the Gospels and the other parts of the New Testament. But we're not. We're less familiar with the Koran. I mean, what does the Koran say about these kinds of things? I suspect it has similar teachings, and we ought to be exploring that here.
I mean, it isn't to say that we're not, but I think we should be. Doubling back to Father Roche's essays helps drive this point home more succinctly. We need to find ways to uh, communicate with one another in peaceful and caring ways. We have to get at that kind of uh, motivation in order to move forward. Uh, we can't act justly towards one another if we are holding some as enemies or having you know, just supposing that they are bad and we're good. We've got to find the goodness that's in everyone, and that's the only way we're going to act justly uh, when we can consider everyone worthy of receiving what we consider to be fair um, you know, from us. We, that's the only way. We have to do it ourselves and not wait for them to start. Saying we need to care for those that are different isn't always simple. Father Vu overcame unexpected adversity throughout his life. He is an emblem of perseverance when the gaze of others seeks to ostracize him just for being present. I experienced my first overt discrimination in graduate school. And I realized that no matter how Americanized I am, when people look at me, they would the first thing they would say was, oh, there's an Asian guy there. They would never say, man, he looks very American. And I realized that, you know, something happened. And that was at the time what I would call like re-embrace, re-immerse myself back into my Vietnamese identity. And, you know, then I ended up for my master thesis dissertation, uh, you know, doctor dissertations and another thesis. I decided to work and focus on uh, Vietnamese American or Asian population in general. Um, how do I retain them? Um, listening to Vietnamese music, um, try to speak as much Vietnamese as possible. Even though I'm Vietnamese American, and yet English is, it has become my primary language. And yet I'm still able to write and uh, you know speak Vietnamese. And if anything, I'm very proud of my heritage, my Asian heritage. I just want to talk a little bit about your academic experience as a teacher here. As a professor of psychology and Asian and Pacific American studies, what does the term acculturation mean on this campus at this Jesuit university? Certainly, you know, for those who may not be familiar, there is a difference between assimilations and acculturation. When we assimilate, that means it's a two-way process where, let's say, an immigrant or a refugee, they want to adapt fully to um, the, uh, the uh, majority group. And in that sense, they may be fully some uh, incorporate into the uh, into the society, you know, and yet not being able to retain as much of their uh, of their uh, former uh, culture. I think acculturation, you know, where we're able to adapt and yet also be able to retain their original culture. And so, I think from my own experience, you know, I uh, I have been able to with a lot of work. Uh, to be bicultural, being able to certainly appreciate um, the beauty of the uh, the culture, the American culture here in the U.S., and yet also be able to maintain 
and retain a part of my uh, Vietnamese culture. And I think it's been a privilege. Um, it's been a gift to be able to be bicultural, to be able to, uh, to choose the best of both worlds. And I hope that you'll certainly... Uh, one of the great things about LMU is that we're a very diverse community, not only in terms of faith, in terms of culture, um, in terms of gender, and etc. And I think this is a great place for our students and for all of us to learn from one another, to be able to celebrate you know, the, uh, the diversity and the differences among us. And so that's why in my class, I really encourage uh, you know, my students to learn who they are, continue to discover their own identity. And if anything, just to be very proud of it, for them to be who they are and to be it well. Something that keeps rattling around in my mind is the necessity of having an eye towards the future. Any college campus serves its students well when they are prepared to face the unexpected. Not everyone has to be a Jesuit to be forward-thinking, but each of the men in this episode had anecdotes about former and present LMU leadership. They weren't shy to reveal what they are called to do as Jesuits and how their methods can promote inclusivity in a university setting. I mean, early on, uh, LMU Law School accepted Jewish students when other law schools didn't. Even at a time of single-sex education, uh, which was, you know, kind of the norm, at least in private colleges and universities up until the 1920s, Loyola was accepting women in the law school. There's the famous story of, of the attitude of the university expressed by Father Casasa when one of the black players was was told that he couldn't play in a segregated field in the South. And the decision was, well, if uh, he can't play, then none of them can play. I see it in... Um in relationships, uh, always. And so rather than it's being some kind of a power thing that the Jesuits would do, it has to do with the relationships, and they are forms of friendship. So they really mean respect and care for uh, partners, colleagues, students, um, you know, everyone. And uh, it's showing um, to them, Jesuits will do this, that they matter they count and that we are trying to be of some help. That's the basic insight that got this place started by the Jesuits, was that what can we do to help people? And an educational institution is still a great place to help people grow up and become <laughs> who they are, not just the students, but for all of us who work in them. Uh, it's, this is a great place to grow and become who we are called to become. Um, that is, you know, as we say, it's persons not just for ourselves, What can we get? But we're really fulfilled when we find out what we can do to help others uh, fulfill their lives. Uh, So that idea of helpfulness. I think that one of the the most important things for us, you know, um, especially for Jesuit, is to, quote-unquote, to be able to what we call read the signs of time. 
for us to be able to, you know, recognize and um, and be faithful to our foundation, and yet also willing to learn, learn willing to be flexible, um, knowing that you know, LMU today is quite different. Let's say even thirty years ago, in many different aspects, and so it's really important for us to be able to observe, to see how can uh, we adapt to uh, not only our the new more diverse uh, student body, but also be able to help navigate what is most important in their life and what are some of the most important challenges in their life today, in the present moment. And so it's really important for us to accompany our students and to be able to assist them as much as we can. And yet the foundation in my mind of our faith, uh, of Catholicism, and the work that we do here is you know based on justice, social justice. Um, I think each of us, uh, our call, we, each of us have a role to play and, you know, some are more, um, drawn to, let's say, working with the homeless. Others are more drawn to working with those who are more marginalized by society, including the LGBTQ community or, you know, those who are, you know, uh, drawn to domestic violence. And so I think the most important thing is for no matter who we are, uh, what our calling in life is really important for us to be kind and loving and compassionate. Father Roche, is there a window to what life is like in your line of work? What is the upside of service? Well, one one of them that's interesting, I think, is when someone had been making these Ignatian exercises for some time, decided wanted to do that, and uh, came and said, you know, um, I was with my doctor, and uh, he said, you know, what's happened? Your blood pressure is no longer high. What changes have you made in your lifestyle? And, and this person said, well, um, I'm not aware I've oh, you know what? <laughs> I'm doing these Ignatian spiritual exercises and I just feel much more centered and at peace. And I thought, hmm, there is a, a nice uh, you know, anecdote that seems to show what's happening for some people. In lieu of reducing societal blood pressure, I ended my conversation with each priest idiosyncratically. I asked them what they do in their spare time. What do they do when they are constantly living above the shop? So with their permission, we visited places that allowed these men to let their hair down. I got involved in going to the women's volleyball games because I was interested first in the coaches, because I'm chaplain for faculty and staff. I tried to meet uh, some of the coaches, get them to lunch with me in the Jesuit community. I really admire um, the way they deal with the students. Uh, I coached a little bit when I was a teacher in high school, and um, <clears throat> I know that they... Students relate with coaches in a different way. They can be very transformative for them. But uh, once I got there and then watched the coaches in action, I got really excited about the games themselves. So then watching the coaches' interaction with the women, that was terrific. And watching the women, their excitement, and then the, the play itself, the games. And then, even better, was uh, their folks, their parents were there. And I was sitting among them, and so then I got to know some of them. And uh, to be drawn into that, um, I found that uh, just a great, um, just a great way to be present. 
and I was certainly the only Jesuit there. <laughs> One of these men is known for never getting off the clock. Amid his responsibilities, Father Vu often takes solace in his cooking routine. I've been told that for people who cook with me, they could, uh, that I'm pretty intense, I, or I could be intense, and yet it just... Uh, uh, I'm the type that you know, like to explore, like to try different food, and you know, let's uh, make something out of you know, leftovers. And that the beauty of thing is you try to create, you know, new things without people knowing that, you know, there were leftovers. Um, you know, trying to um, cook things that I think in my head that could work well together, even though it may sound weird. Um, and so um, it's just an opportunity to recognize that, you know, it's not only for myself, but perhaps, you know, to have, you know, other people um, enjoyed as well. And for me, the food, you know, cooking is important, not just because of the food itself, but it's just also another opportunity to invite other people and to, you know, just uh, get to know one another through stories. And so it's an opportunity to connect once again um, with other people. Father Carroll poured his soul into his lengthy tenure at LMU. His retreat is socializing with his brotherhood of faith. After all, what are faith and intellect if one can't share them with others in camaraderie? Here's a clip from a familiar weekly reprieve that occurs away from the bluff, which allows the diverse LMU Jesuit community to reaffirm their bond. So tonight we're truly having a, a simple Saturday night supper. We're starting with the, the, the artichokes, and that's kind of the salad course. And then we're going to have a potato and leek soup, but it also has some sausage in it. So it's, it's got meat, potatoes, and vegetables. So it's a kind of a full course, but it's a very simple dinner. And so um, let's gather together to pray. Tomorrow the, the, the gospel includes the the story of the, the ten lepers who were cured and only one returned to say thank you. And so that reminds me that it's an opportunity to us to say thanks to the Lord and, and gratitude and thanksgiving for all of those who enjoyed uh, the companionship here on various uh, uh, Saturday and other gatherings and to thank the Lord for the meal we're about to share. And so let's say together, bless us the Lord, and these things which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Lord. Amen. Amen. Jose Garcia Moreno and I produced this episode. I'm also the editor for today's program. We appreciate our guests and their tireless efforts on campus. Thank you for listening, and please visit us often for the latest installment of Advocate, and discover who we document on our show next.